Hi, this is Priya Mapti, and this is Tacky Beats, where we expand on topics from the Hot Failure Beat and quick interviews with interesting people. It's my pleasure today to welcome Dr. Beacon Boskut to share her pearls of wisdom on complementary and alternative medicine. Dr. Boskut is Professor of Medicine at the Baylor College of Medicine and past president of the HFSA. She's also the co-author of the recent statement from the American Heart Association on complementary and alternative medicine in the management of heart failure, published in circulation in December 2022. Welcome, Dr. Boska. Thank you so much for being on our program today. Thank you, Priya, for that welcome and for covering this very important topic. Well, congratulations on an amazing uh, scientific statement. We actually took a deep dive into the statement on our February Heart Failure podcast uh, with one of your co-authors, Dr. Reza. But I would like to take this opportunity, um, since I have you captive, to condense the statement into high-yield nuggets, sort of 50,000-foot what you absolutely have to know from Dr. Boskut for those busy clinicians and providers out there who are just burning with this desire to understand what is complementary and alternative medicine. So I will ask you just a few questions if you want to guide us through the statement. And the first question, the burning question is, what is CAM? And why should we care as heart failure providers about our patients using it? Thank you. Thank you, Priya. CAM concept, a complementary and alternative medications concept, I think is a rapidly evolving topic. Traditionally, it's addressed in four domains, biologically based practices and products, energy therapies, um, manipulative body-based methods, and mind and body medicine. But of course, one can envision a variety of other entities, such as food substitutes, food products, energy drinks, also to be incorporated amongst the CAM products. These products are available without prescriptions or medical guidance at pharmacies, health food stores, and even online retailers. And these products are usually not federally regulated, and they're available to consumers without having to demonstrate efficacy or safety to meet the same standards as prescription medications. These agents do not necessarily conform to the standards of the conventional guideline evidence-based practices, and therefore we thought that it is critical for us to address this topic with the recognition that there are approximately six to, to seven million uh, people in the United States who have heart failure, and approximately one million new heart failure cases are diagnosed annually. And the writing group estimates that over 30% of patients with heart failure in the United States use complementary and alternative medications. We also recognize that Patients rarely tell their healthcare team about the use of the supplements or other alternative therapies unless specifically asked, and they may not be aware of the possibility of interactions with prescription medications or direct effects on their health. And the combination of this unregulated, readily accessible, evolving therapies and the lack of patient disclosure we thought created significant potential for harm and adverse outcomes. Therefore, we wanted to address the importance of these agents, review which ones could be potentially harmful, interact with the guideline-directed therapies, which ones 
so far have implied potential benefit and also emphasize guidance to the clinicians as to inquire about CAM use with their patients at every clinical visit and that they should discuss the interactions, the benefits, adverse effect profile of CAM and guideline-directed therapy using a shared decision-making model with the patients. That's a really great introduction and overview of, I think, just a colossal topic for heart failure providers and, you know, just the ubiquitous sort of availability of a lot of these supplements and other things that, you know, you never really hear about because patients never consider the medication. So they, as you've mentioned, they never volunteer them. And certainly as heart failure providers and clinicians, we don't necessarily think to ask. So one of the things that I'm always a little bit confused about is, you know, from a safety and toxicity profile perspective for many of these agents, I think the the statement did a wonderful job of covering really some of the more common medication or sort of like chemical-based compounds that are out there. But I was wondering if you would like to speak to the data that's out there for toxicity for some of the medications that might be a little bit more high risk for some of our patients that we really need to keep at the top of our minds and just, you know, when we're, we're taking our histories to kind of really put that out there and ask? Great question. In this document, we acknowledge that certain complementary and alternative medications are associated with adverse outcomes. Some are interacting with guideline-directed therapies and resulting in complications and maybe even reducing the efficacy of the GDMT or creating unintended adverse outcomes due to toxicity of the, the agents. And we also recognize that some have been associated with improvement in symptoms, functional capacity, and quality of life. So starting with those that potentially have harmful effects, either with interactions with the heart failure medications or due to changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and electrolyte. These include herbal supplements such as blue cohosh, which is from the root of a flowering plant found in the hardwood forest. It can cause tachycardia, hypertension, chest pain, and may increase blood glucose. It may also decrease the effectiveness of antihypertensives and glycemia control agents in diabetes. Therefore, we put this agent in our potential harmful. Lily of the valley, the root, the stems, the flower, which are used sometimes in supplements, has long been used in mild heart failure because it contains chemicals very similar to digoxin. It is less potent than digoxin, but if one were to use it concomitantly with digoxin, it can result in digitalis toxicity. And it may also result in hypokalemia. And it also has been associated with irregular heartbeats and confusion and fatigue. Licorice root, too much licorice is known to cause hypokalemia and can also impact and interact with the medications. And there is a variety of other supplements or agents or food and or plant-based products such as devil's claw, ginkgo, kella oleander, astropanthus, all of which have been implicated as having potential harmful interactions, either due to their effects on the hemodynamic profile due to change in heart rate, blood pressure, as well as their interaction with digitalis and other guideline-directed therapies. 
We have also a variety of other products that we listed as uncertain safety. And some of these have been found to be ineffective based on current data. Some have mixed findings. It's important that these agents require a discussion between the healthcare professional as well as the patient, because some of it is dose-related and some of it is related to the background other therapies. For example, alcohol. I know this is a very much highly discussed topic. We do have data in heart failure that small amounts, maybe at the population level, maybe associated with lower future development of heart failure, but we do know on the other side of the coin of increased drinking, habitual drinking, or increased amounts of alcohol is directly toxic to the heart muscle and cardiac myocytes and is known to result in cardiomyopathy. So alcohol-related cardiomyopathy is a known problem and is definitely needing to be recognized. And I do know that this concept of how much is considered mild to moderate is garnering attention at the global level. And we do recognize that if you drink even over a week, if done habitually, can result in myocardial injury and damage. And therefore, I think you're more and more recognizing that the alcohol consumption should be much less than what culturally and socially we have accepted. There are also mixed findings about vitamin E. Though there have been some studies implying benefit in reducing the risk of HFPEF, we also have evidence that it may increase the risk of hospitalizations in patients with heart failure. So we're not so clear about the, the efficacy and or safety of vitamin E. CoQ10 or coenzyme Q10, which is an antioxidant found in small amounts in meats, oily fish, and soybean, which is also commonly taken as a dietary supplement, has been implicated in improvement in symptoms, quality of life, functional capacity in small studies, but it may also interact with blood pressure and medications as well as anticlotting medications. And uh, we truly do need larger scale clinical trials to determine its efficacy in heart failure patients. Hawthorne has been shown in some studies to increase exercise tolerance and improve heart failure symptoms, yet it also has the potential to worsen heart failure due to its interaction, again, with digoxin. Therefore, these agents, which have had some studies, small-scale studies showing benefit, need a larger-scale studies to demonstrate benefit. And of course, very similarly, L-arginine, guar gum, had been implicated potential benefit, but there definitely needs to be larger data or larger scale data, and we don't know their safety in the heart failure population. Caffeine also has probably a dose-dependent potential toxicity if consumed in large amounts due to tachycardia and caffeine effects, especially in those individuals who are prone to the detrimental effects of tachycardia, but in small amounts may be okay, but we are not so sure in its safety, especially if consumed in large amounts. And overall, I think these agents that are in the uncertain range await further studies. There are certain agents that are beneficial. Omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids, PUFA or fish oil, have the strongest evidence. We do have from large-scale clinical data that omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids are associated with a lower risk of heart failure. 
for those who don't have heart failure and also with reduced outcomes in individuals with established heart failure. And we, in the recent couple of years, have noted increased risk of atrial fibrillation with higher dose with those exceeding that of four grams. This is not in the heart failure population. This is in the overall cardiovascular disease population or individuals with cardiovascular risk or cardiovascular disease. The dose, if it exceeds that of four gram, has been associated with increased risk of atrial fibrillation. Other than that signal, we have not seen any safety concerns, but overall the omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids have shown benefit. And of course, lifestyle modification with yoga and tai chi which are included in alternative strategies, it has been shown to improve exercise tolerance and quality of life, as well as reduction in blood pressure. So these lifestyle modifications are considered very beneficial and are recommended in our patients. Wow, thank you so much. That is a comprehensive view of the spectrum of the good, the bad, and the uncertain. That was amazing. Thank you so much. That is really answers a lot of the questions I think that I had in our community has for some of these agents that maybe are less well known to us, but really have profound effects and are being used by our patients. And I think it's only to our benefit, the more we learn about things that are available to our patients and how we are able to contribute to their education to make good choices and complementary choices and have really a holistic approach to their well-being. So this was an amazing statement and thank you so much for those high yield takeaways and just a treasure trove of information about a very, very timely topic and a very complicated topic that you've really broken down in a beautiful way. Thank you so much, Dr. Bhaskar. Thank you, Priya. If I could leave our audience with three action recommendations. Number one is complementary and alternative medications should not replace the guideline-directed medical therapy. And it's critical for our clinicians to communicate with our patients to the beneficial role of guideline-directed therapies and educate them that these agents that the patients may perceive as replacing GDMT is not acceptable. And we should communicate with our patients to educate them about the beneficial value of guideline-directed therapy. The second point that I'd like to share with our audience is that we should encourage all our patients to tell us what they're using. So we could actually sit down and do a shared decision discussion with them about potential interactions, potential benefits, as well as adverse effect profile. And we should inquire about CAM use with our patients at every clinical visit. So let's inquire about it. Let's document it. Let's talk to them about potential interactions. Let's educate our patients about the standard therapies while we create a discussion about potential interactions and safety of these agents and find a way to incorporate, at least acknowledge their existence and our inquiry about their safety because a variety of these agents are compound and they may have many more ingredients than we recognize and require the clinicians sometimes to do a detective work to determine what exactly are the ingredients. And I think it's important more than ever for us to inquire, document, and have a discussion with our patients. Those are great pearls for us as providers and for our community. Thank you so much, Dr. Bosgard, for an amazing overview of this statement. 
And for all you listeners out there, tune into the Heart Failure Beat podcast, read the statement that was published in circulation in December 2022. And again, my many, many thanks for a really amazing highlight of an amazingly epic statement. And congratulations again on a fantastic publication. Thank you, Priya. Thanks for listening to Tacky Beats. We'll catch you next time on the Heart Failure Beat. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of the Heart Failure Society of America. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, visit hfsa.org slash hfbeat. Follow HFSA on Twitter and look for us at hashtag hfbeat.